Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Hi, and welcome to the Bechdel cast. My name is Caitlin Durante. My name is Jamie Loftus. And we talk about the portrayal of women in movies. We- Whoa, that, I think I hated that. Yeah, we shouldn't start over. We should quit the podcast. No, 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 it stays. It stays. We have to live with our shame. Yeah, that's true. So we use the Bechdel test as a yardstick, as a jumping off point. The Bechdel test is a test that requires that there are two women in the movie. God. They have to have names. Boring. They have to talk to each other. Hate it. Skip it. And they cannot talk about men. Then what will they talk about, There's nothing else. There's nothing else. I hate this test. (laughs) Well, we're going to be exploring another test in this episode. This is a this is a, another movie. I feel like we've gotten this request before. And yesterday, I okay. So we all watched this movie together last night. I'm just so excited because I our guest, I know, is someone you may have heard us talking about before. You might have even heard his voice on certain episodes. I know because it's our producer Aristotle. Hello. Aristotle! Thank you for being here. Wait, if you're sitting there, who's recording the episode? I know. It, it feels very strange sitting over here watching it happen. <laughs> I would, I, it would be cool if we made one of our past guests come back to sit there and not talk. It'd <laughs> <laughs> be like, actually, uh, Hampton like, is well, sitting I'll in. I'd say it'd be fun if it was Josh Vadim. If it was oh my Josh Vadim. Josh, you cannot speak, <laughs> and you just have to sit there in your horny depth. Yeah. <laughs> So, Aristotle, you brought us Pacific Rim. Yes, I did. Yes. Why'd you choose this movie? I love Guillermo del Toro. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, if any of his movies, I would have been happy to be the guest on. But Pacific Rim, it has a, a special place in my heart because it's the first movie I saw of his as I was falling in love with him okay. as a person. Because cool. I had heard his name and knew who he was, didn't know much about him. He's a friend of the store. And so I had seen him in here a few times. And so I started to look him up more, 
like Pacific Rim was announced. I was like, oh, that sounds super cool. Mm-hmm. Saw it, learned about him. He loves monsters. Everything he does is children and or monsters. Mm-hmm. Usually both. Always horny. Oh, yeah. He's our horniest living director. We'll get into it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. He's very horny. Those fish butts. Uh, Mr. Fishbutt himself. (laughs) I'm a fan of the fish thigh gap, personally. (laughs) Caitlin, you were the first one to spot the the gap. Mind Mm. the gap. Mind the gap. As as we say in horny fish culture. (laughs) (laughs) So as you mentioned a moment ago, we all watched the movie together because Aristotle, you invited us over to your lovely home. We met your dogs. We saw all of your Pacific Rim toys. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And we did a couple check-in. We recorded a few little snippets. So right before we started the movie, we recorded a little segment. So we're going to periodically in this episode check in with those. So I think this is a great opportunity to check in with the first one before we started the movie. So enjoy that now. Well, here we are at Aristotle's home. It's so cool here. It's so cute. Main thing to note is that there (laughs) are multiple figurines, toys, what have you, for Pacific Pacific Rim. I think that the word multiple actually really doesn't give you an accurate picture of how much there is. (laughs) There's multiple fits. There are people with more for sure. There's, uh, (laughs) let's give other Pacific Rim collectors their due. (laughs) But I can see. You're a moderate collector. I think I can see. I can see like eight different things just within eyesight. Well, it, appear, it appears as though there's three different Jaeger robot machine things. I thought you were talking about like some weird Ye- like Jaegermeister <laughs> thing. You're like, look at all of Aristotle's Jaeger palms. So I was like, no, nope, that that's the a name. Wild well, okay. So to put this all in the context, we are here at Aristotle's house. We are about to watch Pacific Rim. Jamie has not seen it. I have seen it a couple of times. And this is apparently Aristotle's favorite movie how many times have you seen one of them (laughs) one of your favorite Uh, movies quite a few i think i saw it once in theaters and then bought it immediately when it came out Mm -hmm. and now it's one of those movies that i watch every so often or i'll just have it in the background sometimes this is like a kind of rare like because it's not rare that i haven't seen a movie but it's pretty rare that i both haven't seen a movie have no idea what it's about (laughs) have never met anybody who's seen it that we've spoken about like i don't i don't know it looks like a rope DVD menu, robot with a circle light boob and a chainsaw hand. There's tires involved, something about a helicopter. I don't know. Are there people in this movie? Yes. <laughs> are there hot people in this it's, movie? There are hot people. Are there hot people that I would recognize in this movie? Uh-huh. Yes. Who? Idris Elba? Oh, oh yeah. Charlie Hunnam? No. Charlie Day. Charlie Day. Why? (laughs) Weird. He fits surprisingly well. Oh, also Ron Perlman is in this movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Are there Uh, any women in this movie? Barely. Is this a Guillermo del Toro movie? It is. Uh Wait a second. (laughs) (gasps) Mr. Fishbutt himself directed this movie? I had no idea this was a del Toro movie. It does not stylistically look like a del Toro movie at all. Yes and no, in that it's so based on the DVD heavily, <laughs> yeah, based on the DVD, it's so heavily CGI. Do people like this movie? I think so. And the Makomori test, as we will be discussing, I'm sure, the in Macklemore the episode. The test? Derived from this, yeah, derived from this movie. The Macklemore the f- test. The Macklemore test. <laughs> anyway. Also, and you asked if there were people in it, and I don't, I don't know this, like, I don't know the minutes Jurassic Park style, but uh-huh. not unlike Jurassic Park, it's mostly people talking. 
when you watch it, oh. it's not that much CGI happening. That's appealing to me. But it's so big when it does happen. It's like, oh shit, this feels like it's going on forever. Mm-hmm. Whoa. I didn't know that. I've seen Fish Butt so many times. Yeah. I'm excited for this. So we'll do a couple more of these check-ins. I think one halfway through the movie and then one at the end of the movie just to get our, you know, thoughts as the movie's playing out. So look forward to the next check. We've We've got got popcorn. We've got There's some dogs here. Caitlin brought a bottle of champagne. Like she's like Princess Di. Like she's just... (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be... A wild Pacific Rim night. What does Pacific Rim mean? Is that a location or a person? Uh, it just generally takes place. So, well, you'll find it, out. Is yeah. that a man's full name? No. <laughs> I, w- I want there to be a character named Pacific Rim. <laughs> Mr. Rim. <laughs> yeah, excuse me. First name, Mr. P- Rim. Please call me Pacific. <laughs> you don't see it coming. Just like you were like, whoa, Geely is a character? <laughs> Larry Geely? Anyways. Every time you mention Geely, I have a stroke. All right. So we're about <laughs> so to watch Pacific the movie. Rim. We'll check back in later on and then just enjoy the rest of our episode. Wow, what a fun clip. Wow, so cool. And <laughs> Feels we, like it was 12 hours ago, because basically that, it was. Yeah. Is that what my voice sounds like? That's it. Is. Oh, man, How I embarrassed. hate it. That's, yeah. you're, in the, you're in the comfort of your own home. You're, you're, oh, Aubrey, there was one point where uh, you were like, I've got a Pacific Rim poster, and your mm. your girlfriend, uh, who's so wonderful, she, she was just like, do you? And you're like, yeah, it's in our room and then you and but then it turned out it was behind a door it's but behind it was the door framed yeah. and it closed in the dark the whole <laughs> wow <laughs> it, so it never feels like i have that much pacific rim stuff but once i put it all out i was like oh yeah you're like this yeah. is 20 There's separate objects pile. <laughs> individually but, boxed but that's also that's part of it 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 tapped into a lot of things that i knew i loved but i did like i it took time to realize like oh this specific movie is tapping into like all these things in my brain that are like, yes. Cool. Okay. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It is a beautiful, as with all fish butt joints, <laughs> a beautifully crafted tale. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. I did end up watching certain parts of it a second time, and I have I have a lot of thoughts. Oh, good. So do I. I think this will be a very interesting <laughs> discussion. Because this movie was a little... I didn't realize I went back to some of the original coverage of it, because I, I think that I talked about this last night, too, but it was like this movie, I was not even aware it had ever come out. I don't know what... It did not do well, Ham. It didn't do well. Uh, it, 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 like, it did fine, but it wasn't until it came out in China that like it made a fuck ton of money mm-hmm. they're Got like alright we can do the sequel so yeah. the, the sequel we're releasing this movie as the sequel Pacific Rim Rising is that what it's called Uprising, Uprising? originally Milestorm but now Uprising Ooh. wow should I do the recap Go for it. Okay. What is it? What is this movie about? Well, Pacific Rim. So there's a lot of sort of exposition at the top of the movie where it takes place, I want to say... 2020. 20-ish. The not-so-distant future. The not-so-distant future. I can't wait for it to be 20. There's one point where, like, in I love when people do this in the movies of, like, not-so-different future where someone says 2017, and it's <laughs> well, almost like we, a wink and a nod. That's said yeah. in this movie. No, they do. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. they say the, the, the year 2017, but it's said in a way of, like, that's so what? Yeah. I also, what? Yeah. Like, oh yeah, I did that back in 2017. <laughs> Ever heard of it? And it's like, okay, calm down. I knew it was not so distant future, but I didn't realize how soon it was occurring yeah. until we watched it last night. Yeah, some of it's already happened. <laughs> yeah. So there's an alien invasion. Aliens called kaiju. 
So there's a portal to a different dimension by which they travel through to get to Earth and then just basically invade the shit out of a bunch of cities. They're big, they're scary, they hate large structures. Yes. Some of them sort of look like sharks. They're sea creature-like. They're a bit fishman-y. They're... I some of them are of vaginas, some of them aren't. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and I will say there's plenty of opportunities in this movie where people are submerged, and it's like, where's the butt? Well, I will say you do see robot butt because there's a, a, a very specific butt. scene that I thought was kind of funny where you see Gypsy Danger walking down the street and you watch him pass by, and then bam, big old robot butt. Caramel Torres. <laughs> So horny. What's wrong with him? Someone has to tranquilize him. He's too horny. No, he's not. He's not horny enough. How does the male gaze apply when it's showing a fish or a robot? Fish robot butt. He's cornered the market on places where he's like, this is an area of horny that can't be regulated. (laughs) (laughs) He figured it out. Yeah, good for him. Most directors, most male directors just have to find an unregulated horny area to thrive within. Right. Okay, so there's an alien invasion. They keep coming, so everyone's like, we got to figure out a way to stop these because, you know, they use missiles and tanks and all sorts of other artillery and it doesn't really work. So then they end up, they're like, what if we build these giant robots called Jaegers and we get people to pilot them? They fight the Kaju and that's just how we defeat them. And it works for a while. And a thing about the Jaegers is that they have to be co-piloted because they kind of like mind meld with each other and then also the machine. So for like people's like neurons to get the robot to move around and punch people. You said punch this very shit. early in our viewing. The science of this movie is <laughs> iffy Questionable. at best. Yes. <laughs> it's like, and, and I know that and a lot of it's just like, okay, this is just like, it's more visually interesting to watch it this way. But it's like, you get the feeling that the people inside the robots, they could probably be offsite. Yeah, gotta be in there, <laughs> right? They could probably yeah. be in a second location and be safe. Yes, that yeah. is what I was thinking the entire movie. There but could also be like you know, like a there's two guys in there. We have to imagine a billion government dollars going into Tw- at least twenty so billion much money. for each of two these. guys. Two guys, one dies, one falls asleep. Billion dollars <laughs> gone, <laughs> government money. Well, what I mean, the fuck? In in this this somewhat apocalyptic future, you'd have to imagine that Wi-Fi still sucks. Wi-Fi. So there's no way. <laughs> I mean, in two years, Wi Fi is not going to be that much better. <laughs> right. <laughs> but there's, I was like, how is there not some sort of like fail safe autopilot if one guy dies and one guy falls asleep? People don't lose a billion dollars and this large robot doesn't fall on whatever is in right. front of it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, so that's a little questionable, but we just, as the audience, have to suspend our disbelief for it if we're going to enjoy the movie. So we do. So the main character of the movie is this guy named Raleigh Beckett, and he's a co-pilot with his brother. There's this whole sort of... They got matching jackets. They got matching jackets. (laughs) And the thing about that is that co-pilots have to be what's called drift compatible because they're mind melding with each other and with the robot. So it has to, like, I don't know, they have to have, like, a compatibility for this to all work because they're kind of fighting in unison. 
So and they communicate in this kind of like leave it to beavery, super like upbeat kind of way, where like the older brother's like, "Don't get cocky, kid." And oh yeah, then he lifts a line from Han Solo. They're He's yeah, like, don't get cocky. They're communicating with whatever Houston basically, and and they're like, you know, a man's got to do what a man's got to do. I'm like, is this a line from Rugrats? They're all very young and, and naive and cocky. Oh God, it's yeah, it's just like a bunch of dudes wearing jackets, and they're like, <laughs> "We like each other. We got a robot. We got jackets. <laughs> they look like the same man, which yeah. is distracting." And then, thankfully, one of them dies. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, okay, well, this eliminates confusion. So one of the so the brother dies. He's all upset, and then a few years pass, and he goes to work on this wall, which is supposed to be the thing that's going to stop the kaiju now. Except it doesn't. So they're wall like, triggering. actually, right? Let's bring back Brat. Let's bring bring back. <laughs> Bing Brack. <laughs> that's a that's a good character name. We've got to remember Bing that. Brack. My Bing name Brack. is Mr. Bing Brack. <laughs> so they're like, hey, let's restart this Jaeger initiative and let's get Raleigh Beckett back into the picture. This is what Idris Elba's character does, whose name is something. Striker Pentecost. Striker Pentecost. Striker Pentecost. So Idris Elba is Striker Pentecost. Mm-hmm. He's hot. He speaks in a, in a vocal style I will call iambic. <laughs> Pentecost. I, I, <laughs> whoa. Iambic Pentecost fortune cookie. <laughs> yeah. Where every line of dialogue for this character is just sort of like a vaguely motivated, but like could really apply to any situation kind of motivational or stern kind of nonsense, mm-hmm. which culminates in really one of the best movie monologues of the past. Oh. 10 years. It's incredible. (laughs) So he basically recruits Raleigh to rejoin this initiative, but because his brother is dead, he has to figure out someone else who he's drift compatible with. Enter Mako Mori. She's sort of like Idris Elba's assistant slash daughter. Prodigy. (laughs) Yeah. And she expresses a strong desire to want to be a co-pilot, but for reasons that we don't understand at first, that's not an option for her. So she has selected all these different people to sort of audition to be a co-pilot to see if they're drift compatible with Raleigh. And then he's like, oh, none of these people are good. How about you, Mako? And she's like, okay. So they like do the test and it turns out she is the most drift compatible with him. And Idris Elba's all like, no, I won't let this happen. And they're like, well, it's happening anyway. Yeah. But he can't say that yet. Because we've got another hour. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So they basically make preparations for Raleigh and Mako to co-pilot Gypsy Danger. Gypsy Danger. Gypsy Danger. (laughs) That's a great... There's a lot of... Like, almost every name in this movie is, like, pretty awesome. Yeah. We also haven't even mentioned any of the kaiju names. Those are my favorites. Oh, I don't... I never even... (laughs) Oh, feminist icon, Crimson Typhoon... Well, that oh, was yeah. a Jaeger. That was a Jaeger. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to fuck this up. go home, Jamie. I'm going to fuck this up. <laughs> are there any women in this movie? Anyways. <laughs> Hardly. So more kaiju are coming. You know, they can tell when they're about to show up because there's this guy named Tendo who's sort of in the control room. And then there's some other co-pilots. There's an Australian father-son duo who are both adult blonde men who look exactly like which is, Raleigh. Which is person. every adult blonde male is enacting out terror on me. (laughs) Adult blonde males, just they just seem not to put you in a box, but also you are the most privileged of them all. Adult men with blonde eyelashes, you're just like, what's going on here? (laughs) Something's very, there's there's something very alien-y. 
Hey, speaking of Don't aliens, cut that out. Bringing it back, I won't. Um, so <laughs> Raleigh and Mako try to, like, basically be in gypsy danger. And Mako, since she's only ever done, like, what are they called? Like uh, simulations. Simulations test. and never actual have driven one. She kind of fucks that- it up the first time. A small footnote that's an mm. important one is that Raleigh fucks it up. He fucks up first, and that's why she gets lost in it. Oh, I didn't catch because that. Because he um, flashes back to his brother and is like, all right, all right, I got this under control. But that's what leads her to them. Oh. To flashback. Oh, so, okay. But that allows us to learn some backstory about her, which is that um, the reason she so desperately wants to be a co-pilot is because she was like nearly killed by a kaiju. And I think we can probably assume that they killed her whole family and like her whole community, basically, on an attack when she was a child. Right. And and the person who comes and saves her and kills the kaiju that's about to kill her is Idris Elba's character. Idris Elba. So that's he like finds her when she's a small girl and kind of takes me her under his wing. If Makomori passes the Makomori test, but whatever. Because the twist <laughs> is Idris Elba, but whatever. Despite that, so we we learn that about her backstory, and then some things happen where oh crap, we definitely need Raleigh and Mako to get into the Jaeger and fight the bad guys who are coming. And then meanwhile, Charlie Day is in the movie, and he's he's <laughs> drifting with he's a there. kaiju. I enjoyed Charlie Day in this movie. It's always we were talking about this too, where it's like in every movie he's in, it's like did he like luck out or is he actually good at something? Unclear. He's fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, he's fun to watch. I'll agree with that. So the ultimate plan is for them to basically drop a nuclear bomb on the portal thing that's allowing the kaiju to enter our world. And then it happens, and then they blow it all up, and they kill all the kaiju, and then we win. Hooray! Mm-hmm. Yay! Outside, Makamori is literally launched out of the climactic scene. Yes. Which was not lost yeah. on me. I know that that is like in the context of the story it's that she you know he was making a sacrifice to protect her and was putting his life on the line and that has narrative importance but she was literally launched out of the scene without her consent. So right, launch her out. They're like oh it looks like something about it important to happen in this movie with barely any women. Let's just let's just get her out of here. <laughs> get her out of here and then say we're doing her a favor. Yeah that is a very frustrating moment to see her. so her like oxygen levels are becoming critical and I think she passes right. out. It's motivated. So he launches her out thereby saving her so a, woman, a man having to save a woman and like you said it makes her what could have been her contributing to the outcome of the story and to the big climactic moment, she is then robbed of that opportunity. It's what we've seen in Twilight, where Bella Swan just passes out during the climax. At least she's not forced to watch. We don't even have to. We don't even have to. It's like no, we don't have to look at her. Yeah. So that is certainly frustrating. However, there's a lot to discuss in terms of Mako Mori's character. Yeah. And okay, so let's start with describing what the Mako Mori test is. Yes. And where it came from. So the Makomori test requires that a movie has at least one female character, that's the first condition, who has her own narrative arc, mm-hmm. number two, that is not supporting a man's story. Right. So it's those three conditions. This came to be from a Tumblr conversation, as I understand it, mm-hmm. where a user was talking about Pacific Rim saying, oh, I wanted to like this, but it didn't pass the Bechdel test. And Spoiler. 
Yeah. Yes, but well, anyway, this extremely doesn't <laughs> pass the Bechdel test. Yeah. So one, yeah, one user was kind of dismissing the movie because it didn't pass the Bechdel test, refusing to acknowledge that the Bechdel test is not the end-all, be-all, and that a movie can still have strong female characters Absolutely. and not pass the Bechdel test. So a user responded. Um, so this is user Spider Zan. Feminist icon. <laughs> Feminist Spider-Zan. icon said it's really easy to throw away a film because of that test being the Bechdel test, which is flawed and used incorrectly in a lot of ways. If you're a white woman and can easily find other films with white women who look like you and represent you. But as an East Asian woman, someone like Mako, a well-written Japanese woman who is informed by her culture without being solely defined by it, without being a racial stereotype, and gets to carry the film and have character development almost never comes along in the mainstream Western media. And honestly, someone like her will probably not appear again for a very long time. Right. So this user is saying, like, who cares if the movie didn't pass the Bechdel test? We still get great representation of this character in Mako Mori. Mm-hmm. Right. I think then someone proposed the Mako Mori test mm-hmm. and then said, okay, well, let's apply this different test, not the Bechdel test, but a movie can pass the Mako Mori test if it has one female character who gets her own narrative arc that is not supporting a man's story. So, And and a non-white female protagonist to boot in a big summer movie is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And like, is it is great that a non-white female protagonist is, is getting so much care and treatment and narrative importance and the fact that her backstory has to do with what's going on in the movie too and like learning by learning about her we're also moving the plot forward mm-hmm. was really cool and wasn't just like that was just like good writing mm-hmm. um, if only there were another female <laughs> well but first her to talk to it's surprising and not su- like surprising in that we have this great character that's good representation mm-hmm. because this is also a little bias on me of why I love Guillermo is that he is a Mexican director. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I knew that, I was like, oh, shit, a well-liked Mexican is doing cool shit. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And he gets it. But why did he cast three white guys as the leads is? It's odd. Mm-hmm. And then he, his career is kind of... identical white guys, he's too. Kinda, he he kind of has leaned that way more in his later movies, which is like... Oh, mm-hmm. it's all cool, but you know, he used to make movies in Spanish with all Mexican actors, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. Well, now um, he's like, what about a fish? Maybe. I mean, <laughs> I get if he's maybe trying to appeal more to the mainstream, um, then yeah. he's like, got to get some blonde white guys in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but three identical <laughs> blonde white—they're supposed to be from different generations. You'd have no idea. There's—they <laughs> have to. It's so funny because they're. The acting in this movie, and this is another thing that seemed like a little bit off-brand for Del Toro, is like he tends to cast actors who have chemistry, mm-hmm. kind of a base. But no, I don't know. For me, <laughs> zero people in this movie appear to have ever met or wanted to make eye contact with each other <laughs> in the fucking least. Like every, I felt like every actor. It's not like anyone was doing a terrible job that to the point where it was distracting. But it was just like every actor was in their own bubble. And they were not moving outside. Like Idris Elba, I feel like might as well have just been in a bubble this whole movie, just moving around. Like he's not really making, he's delivering lines flawlessly. <laughs> is he hot? 100%. Mm-hmm. We're all horny for Idris Elba. But it's just, there is like a weird uncanny quality of how the characters in this movie 
and I don't know if it's supposed to be a stylistic thing. It didn't quite work for me, but just like the way that people communicate in this world feels very, even when it's supposed to be personal, feels impersonal. For well, some it was reason. 2017. What do you expect? It was 2020. In 2020, <laughs> we're not going to be yeah. able to make <laughs> eye contact anymore. Everyone will just be shouting fortune cookie lines at each other. I don't know. Hey, um, I think now seems like a good time to check into our middle part of the movie segment that we recorded while we were watching it. One glass of champagne deep. Yum, yum, yum. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So enjoy that. We're in the middle of Pacific Rim. Yeah, we are. I'm learning a lot of things. Yes. Actually, I'm like kind of really into this movie. Midpoint check. I think I've seen three women. I noted in the Shatter Dome when they're walking through, there's quite a few women in the background. Oh, are there? Okay. And I, I didn't count, but there were. It's, it looked like there was, because you could see a lot of like ponytails and hairs and buns. Wait, is that a, is that a women in STEM environment? Or wait, I the Shatter Dome? So. Okay. Is that when they're like... They're walking through and he's like, that's Gypsy Danger. That's Crimson Typhoon. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. so they're, oh, they're potentially Typhoon. Like, right. <laughs> they're like potentially mechanics or yeah. scientists. or Engineers, maybe. Exactly. Yeah. For, for a movie with, I, I say so far, stunningly few women, at mm-hmm. least most of the ones we are seeing are probably women in STEM. <laughs> so yeah. that's good. Yeah. They're... If your extras are women in STEM. All right, Del Toro. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We've encountered Mako Mori. We just finished the part where she gets like a really cool backstory moment that I feel like even when female characters are given backstories, I feel like it's so rarely connected directly back to the plot as much as hers was in a way that was like, whoa, that's so cool. Like, right. Not only does she have a backstory, but it's like relevant to what's happening right now. Yeah. I feel like there's like... There's a more tasteful way to put this trope, but like if a movie is very lazily trying to like characterize a woman in TV too, where it's just like there's a point in the movie where like a woman raises her hand, she's like, just so you know, I was raped. And they're like, okay, cool. Now we know one thing about her and let's just keep going with the movie. Mm -hmm. And like using abuse is just like a device to be like, see, she's existed prior to being (laughs) in this movie. Uh, Well, it's weird because the sad truth of that is a lot of women have been assaulted. However, it's not the only aspect to a woman's personality. Well, yeah, that's more the the point I was speaking to. And the only other thing we know about her other than she's going to kiss the fucking guy at the end is this, you know? Mm -hmm. Okay. I feel like each of Elba's character in this movie is like a character we've for sure seen before of just like vague authority figure who has a heart. But sort of not. Oh, man, I can't wait till we get to the part where he delivers his <laughs> Bill Pullman in Independence Day-like speech. The last line of his speech is the funniest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. I can't wait for you to hear it, Jamie. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> we'll be checking back in at the end of the movie. Oh, yeah. We'll talk to you then. All right, bye. <laughs> And we're back. Hi. 
another thing we've hinted at is that with such a huge cast of main characters, mm-hmm. only one of them is a woman. Mm-hmm. So we've got the ones we've mentioned in Raleigh Beckett. We've got Idris Elba's character. We've got the two co-pilots who are the Australian father-son duo. Chuck and Herc Hansen. Right. They're 35 and 37, respectively. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and yet they're somehow father and son. <laughs> we've got Tendo, who is sort of like the guy who's in like control room. Mm-hmm. and Bowtie guy with bow-tie. suspenders. Mexican actor so there we go mm. i like as i say i'd never i didn't recognize him i love clifton collins jr that's oh, great he's your alpha her. melina <laughs> oh, <yes>. maybe <laughs> alpha melina could have been replace like one of the blonde men with alpha melina Repla- replace oh, yeah. any of those characters with a woman like there's no reason I mean, that yeah, like absolutely. several of the characters you do see like glimpses of women who are like helping to build the jaegers we don't even meet mako until 23 minutes into the movie and i would say it's probably around minute 45 that she says more than a few words or a few Has, lines like a scene yeah, yeah. My point is that there are so few women in the movie, so many opportunities for some of the characters to be women. That yeah. You've got this, the two science pals who are Charlie Day and then Dr. Gottlieb. And I mean, forget about like gender equality. Which, as I always say, forget about gender equality. <laughs> it would make this movie less confusing to watch if there were more women and diversity because it is hard to tell the, the blonde men apart. It mm-hmm. genuinely is. I also think that Tendo... And Gottlieb sort of look alike. That so you're I, totally I was right. like, wait, it took me a while to figure out that those were two different people. I could tell. I knew who Idris Elba was. I knew who Mako Mori was. And I knew who Charlie Day was. Everyone else, pfft, <laughs> no idea. In main characters, yes. But watching the backgrounds and all the scenes where they're in the Shatter Dome and walking around or anytime there's big crowds, mm-hmm. there is a very diverse cast of background people where mm-hmm. you see lots mostly Asian people which makes sense because right. they are in Hong Kong yeah mm-hmm. uh, lots of women back there walking around women walking together and talking to each other in the background women in STEM <laughs> uh, mm. and then that's when the, like you really see that this is a world issue because there's lots of different people in the background mm-hmm. I thought like Great. So they're I there, but good, the, movie just, there. the movie just doesn't consider them important, important <laughs> enough to be included in the story. <laughs> right. Which is pretty true for most movies. But let's isolate Mako Mori as a character and talk about yes. her. So one of the main things I want to point out about her is that, one, we know exactly what she wants, which is great. A lot of times if there's a female character, she doesn't want something for herself or she's just there to support the male protagonist. But she says specifically, I want more than anything to be a pilot of a Jaeger. And we also know why. So we, she's got the desire and she's got the motivation. We find out that she wants to do this because she wants to seek revenge on the kaiju. And we learn this from her mm-hmm. sort of like memory flashback thing. But also, I think Idris Elba has a line where he's just like, you know, uh, revenge is not, it's mm-hmm. not good. And which brings us to revenge is not good (laughs) yes uh you know that famous saying so she keeps being like i want to be a co-pilot and her daddy idris alba is like no because your emotions are going to compromise your ability to do that however so I sort of can understand where he's coming from, but I think that might be a bad excuse because, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, women, they be too emotional. Right. They can't lead a country and they can't do stuff because of their emotions. Thinking about that line now, 
Because when that line's spoken, you don't know what their relationship is. Right. So I think what he's he's saying, like, emotion because of her backstory, not because she's a woman. But right. you don't know that we when don't he says it. don't know that. And so even if that is true, even if she's just, like, desperate for revenge and that might conceivably, you know, sort of cloud her ability to be an effective co-pilot, I can see right. that happening. But no one bothers to point out that Raleigh also is probably, like, rife with emotion about this because his brother died while he was connected to him. And he even says, like, I can't do this again. My brother, we were still connected. So he has yeah. so many emotions also connected to this idea of being a co-pilot of a Jaeger. But no one's like, well, he, although, counterpoint, Mako does say, you make a lot of rash decisions. Like, I don't think you're the right person mm -hmm. for this mission. Except that that doesn't matter because that's the only thing that's said or done to maybe stop him. And then he keeps going on with it. Right. So at least she acknowledges it. But no one, like Idris Elba isn't coming in to be like, well, you're too emotional, Rally, because of your brother. Like, No, he seeks he, him out yeah, exactly. for that reason. He seeks him out, but he also is... He's desperate because he like he says like oh did you already try all the other pilots and he's like we did they're all <laughs> they're dead dead you're right. the last one you're our last resort that's true and it's like and I do understand from the paternal aspect of like you don't want to send basically your child out into mm -hmm. what seems like mortal danger mm -hmm. that makes sense but that to me brings out the whole like daddy thing with this movie that bugs me in in regards to Mako Mori's test because she is the only female character we have. I think she's a really strong character, obviously, and and we're given this really satisfying backstory. But the that the, we see the first half of her backstory, the first whatever percentage, and we don't see Idris Elba's connection to it. Mm -hmm. We see, and for me, honestly, that would have been enough. Like you could have stopped there and had it been like, I mean, the motive, there's still more than enough motivation, mm -hmm. but then she's introduced with this new father figure. And in that way, I'm like, does Mako Mori's story even pass her own test? Because yes, that, that does not tie her to the protagonist of the movie, but it does directly connect her to another major male figure in the movie. And so it's not totally her story. It has to do with her relationship to her father now. You know, I mean, that relationship is explored a little bit and referenced because, spoiler alert, Idris Elba's character dies right before Mako Mori's launched out of the movie. Mm. Uh, and so I don't know. It's like there, there's a version of that relationship being clarified and introduced that maybe could be. I'd, I'd, and I'm, I know that you guys might disagree. I just don't think that that was like necessary. And that felt like in what was otherwise a pretty satisfying, powerful story, kind of like a, the one of like, oh, how are we going to get her back into like all the guys? Like, I didn't think that that was a necessary mm -hmm. thing to do. I do th like I agree that it would have been totally fine if she was just like vengeance, no daddy. I just wanted to fight Kaiju. But I wouldn't say that. Her backstory doesn't pass the Mako Mori test. It just links and intertwines her backstory with Idris Alpha's backstory. Right. And so yeah. it's not as supportive. It's just more of like, here's where all of these things fit together. And this is why they work this way. But also, her hunger for vengeance does actually save them in one of the moments later when they're being carried off by Otachi. I forgot what Rally's line is, but it's something like, like what do we do now? And she's like, there's still one more thing. And she remembers the oh, chainsaw, the and then she's right. like, before she they use it, she's like, "This is for my family," and slices Otachi uh -huh. in hand. And so, Which if, is great. It, yeah. if anything, that you know, hunger for vengeance was a great tool. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So yeah, I, I like that she has a clear, strong, specific desire that we often don't see women having in movies, especially when they're not the protagonist. Right. And that desire is clearly motivated by something that's actually relevant to the story. Something that that I didn't like as much or that I, I felt she was sort of robbed of is... So whenever Raleigh is sort of doing the drift compatibility test with the other candidates and Mako and I'm going to never remember Idris Elba's character's <laughs> name, Mr. Pentecost. Yeah. It doesn't feel right <laughs> to not you, call him Idris Elba. It's, you can think of it as close to Paddington. Striker Paddington. Striker Paddington. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to call him Paddington. So Paddington and Mako are sort of overseeing these um, compatibility tests. No one seems like quite the right fit. And Raleigh's like, okay, well, how about her? Let's give, let's change this up and give her a try. And then it works out that, oh, wow, they are the most compatible. But what rubs me the wrong way about that is that her taking the drift compatibility test with him only happens because Raleigh suggests it. And then her becoming the co-pilot only happens because he insists on it. So she has the capability, but she doesn't necessarily have the agency to do things for herself. And maybe that's not like a huge deal to me, but I think it's worth noting that her agency is a little bit, she's robbed of agency in that scene and situation in particular. I think that's almost another world problem too, though, where it's like this world even though there appear to be women in it, does not listen to women very much because Makamori is our only female character. And usually when she says stuff, even when she says it emphatically, people don't listen to her. Mm-hmm. Even when it is character motivated that it, you know, Idris Elba wouldn't want to give her what she wants right away, but it's like he's dismissive of her. For the most part, Raleigh treats her with respect and treats her skill set with respect, but he doesn't always listen to her on the first try either. And you're totally right. Mm -hmm. Where even when she's displaying agency, and I feel like we see this in female characters all the time, where sometimes we see a female character display agency and advocate for themselves, but it's almost an empty gesture because no one listens. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that brings up another point, which is something that I like about this movie, where even though she isn't given much agency in that scene where she's only doing these things because other people are suggesting that she do them and she's not necessarily super advocating for herself in that moment, but she does not have to do extra work to prove herself to the main male character. Raleigh immediately recognizes how capable she is and he immediately respects it because oftentimes in movies you'll see a woman being strong and capable, but the men around her dismiss her. Until she kicks. Yeah. Until she does the kick moment. They usually dismiss her only because she's a woman and they just like have these assumptions of, oh, she can't do this. Mm -hmm. She's a woman. We're not going to pay any attention to her. We're not going to listen to her. And then she goes, hi-ya. Hi-ya. And And they go, whoa. (gasps) Oh, you can do a thing. But in this movie, which I really like it framed this way, is that she doesn't have to like even though this is maybe not necessarily reflective of real life where women often do have to work harder to prove themselves. Yeah. But Raleigh immediately recognizes and respects her abilities and capabilities. Porn. Um, <laughs> it's porn. So, yeah, it was just, uh, I, I really liked that aspect of the story. Yeah, totally agree. I also say there, at, at every time we keep saying the Macomori test, I keep thinking the Macomori test, <laughs> which is a test that is hopefully <laughs> never passed. <laughs> what uh, would that even be? <laughs> sign into law. I don't know. Let's see what happens. I assume we'll get to this, but Mako is not the only female character. She's the only female main character. She's the, yes. But there is another. 
So tell nice. tell us about her, Aristotle. Uh, we do hear her name when they're walking through the Shatter Dome and Pentecost is showing Raleigh all the the Jaegers that they still have, and he introduces Cherno Alpha, fan favorite, my favorite, feminist icon, feminist icon Cherno, Cherno Alpha. Alpha, and is piloted by Sasha and Alexis Kardanovsky, husband and wife team. And just by looking at them, they're already everyone's favorite character. <laughs> That's the <laughs> thing. That, it's like why, is. yeah, the first shot of them is so cool that you're like, who are these people? Mm. And you don't really get to find out. I mean, there is like uh, later. So would she be Sasha or Alexis? Uh, she's Sasha. She's Sasha. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, but that, that, that too, I liked. Ways. I was like, yeah, they, they both have similar names. And when you first see them, he is significantly taller and bigger than she is, but yeah. they are walking as equals. They are both equally strong. And when they're scene. and when they're operating together, it seems like she's the she alpha. She is the leader. Which right. uh, I agree in that when I when I saw this, I was like, ah, they're they're fucking Boba Fett, Captain Phasma, where you see this badass character that you want to love, but you never get the like you satisfaction don't... of seeing them be truly badass. Right. Until so I saw this movie in theaters. I loved it. A lot of people. Gave it shit, gave me shit. Uh, and then Guillermo del Toro uh, retweeted this person who wrote on their blog, and this is where I got a lot of my ideas and fed deeper into my love for Guillermo. If you want to look it up, it's Storming the Ivory Tower, The Visual Intelligence of Pacific Rim. And it's this guy who wrote a blog post about how he and his girlfriend saw it, and she has a learning disability where she can't understand like non-literal language, mm-hmm. but she interprets visual language very Clearly. Mm-hmm. And so she walked out with all these great examples of the Kardinovskis of them walking around. And then when you see them later in the mess hall, you see her like beckoning to him with her finger. And then when he sits down, mm-hmm. she puts her arms around him and she's like very protective of him. Mm-hmm. And it's all in Guillermo's very intentional visual language. Yeah. Horniest director working. Horn- for sure. <laughs> Horniest director yeah. working. I hadn't noticed that in, in terms of like the visual cues they give off. But like why not give them something to do mm-hmm. why not more, let more us to do, get yeah. to know i mean we can see that they love each other and that they're good at their job particularly sasha because we hear her talk but if you you know like miss her name then it's only really said once maybe twice uh they say it once now. they did yeah but so they, they refer to them as the kodanovskis again and again right I don't know. I mean, especially because it's like, oh, man, they look so cool. Mm -hmm. And it's such a clear opportunity to have another female character. Mm -hmm. But it's just like, it's almost like a flagrantly missed opportunity. You know? Well, I mean, she gets so little screen time. Mm -hmm. And even while she is on screen, she's doing really cool kick-ass things. But she's but probably on screen for maybe a total of three minutes if you just add it all together. In the meanwhile, we have to watch a very damp Charlie Day <laughs> wander through Hong Kong for 45 minutes. And it's just like, they're, they're, it's balance it out. Right. And that, so, like, there's the other co-pilot pair, which is the Hen- Hansons. The Hanson? Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, 35, 37. Hanson. The Van, <laughs> the Van Hansen. Hansen is, yeah. Taylor, so. Zach, and... Isaac. Isaac. Oh, I, w- I wouldn't have gotten that. Isaac's a good name. 
So we see a lot of those two characters, the Hansons. We explore their relationship that we don't care about and everything. <laughs> yeah, well, so do we they, care about them? I don't know. I mean, well, they're so they're poised as these like sort of like hyper macho, like extra alpha, very um, like they're toxic like in masculine an commercial. To- they're just <laughs> <laughs> well. So the thing about them is that they don't like. Charlie Hunnam's character. They don't like Raleigh. Uh, the son does. Chuck doesn't. Oh, okay. Kirk is fu- like he's the, really the problem is Chuck because he feels he's such a like a hot shot badass that he's better than everyone. But Herc and Raleigh get in a fist fight. Uh, that's Chuck that gets in the fist fight. Wait, which is the Her- son? Herc is the dad. Chuck is the son. And which one? So Chuck does not like. Who allowed this? Not, yeah. I do- <laughs> Dads are old. Dads are. Did no well, one get the note? Dads are not. Young when they have adult sons, <laughs> it doesn't happen. It doesn't make sense. I know. I thought they were brothers for the longest time, and then Aristotle yeah. was like, "No, those are that's a father and son." <laughs> but anyway, so okay, Impossible. so Chuck is the one who does not like Raleigh, right? Yeah. Okay. Chuck. So they yeah they have a fight, and there's this whole like, "Oh, I'm more masculine than you." No, I'm more masculine than you. Oh, get your girlfriend out of here. Like, there's this whole exchange they have, and then they have a fist fight about it. So it's just like, to me, it's like, fine, if that happens in the movie, whatever. But why does does that storyline get so much screen time, but the husband, wife, Sasha, whatever their last name is? (laughs) Who are more visually interesting. Oh, yeah. Strictly based on the fact that they're not the same exact fucking person. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I also made note of that fist fight in the hallway. And I feel like I'm just... I'm just putting all my thoughts of Guillermo on the scene, but it, it could also just be a bad scene. But the fight happens because Chuck refers to them as bitches, which mm. is like you see Mako and Raleigh both being like very restrained and wanting to obviously yell at him and fight him. And then it wasn't until that that Raleigh loses his shit and yeah. starts fighting him. Right. So I thought like, well, he's kind of defending her honor, but he also could have just been okay with it. But it also shows... That she's very tough-skinned and that she'd, like, she was like, I don't care what you say. Right. And she's it wasn't, probably dealt it, with, like, shitty dudes saying horrible things to her her whole life. And yes. she's like, yeah. oh, it's just another day for me. I mean, yeah, if the real world is any indication, <laughs> probably she has. Another thing I really like about Mako, though, is that the movie establishes that the narrative could not happen without her. Like, right. she is the most drift compatible with Raleigh, so the story just simply cannot play out without her, or not play out in the way that it does. So I like that she's poised as a very crucial character. I wish we just... I mean, she even still isn't on screen all that much, because there's well, so the... many other sort of moving parts to the story. Not a whole lot of time is dedicated to her or her story. I'd be interested in how much screen time she actually has. And then there is at some point in the movie, and she comes back, she's in She's in the final scene, there's a weird nuzzle that you and I <laughs> spar over that we don't need to spar <laughs> over again, because it was stressing me out. But there is, a, there is a point where once she is it's determined that she is the most drift compatible. We learn the backstory. We get the Idris Elba reveal. She disappears for chunks of this movie, mm-hmm. even when she's physically there. And that is something that bugs me and something that I was pleasantly surprised with with the Sasha character. It's like when she is inside of uh, Jaeger, she's fully 
present and she's calling the shots and she's doing all this stuff. And I understand from a character standpoint, obviously Mako wouldn't be immediately in charge because it's like the first time she's doing it. Mm -hmm. But she's really pretty much silent when she's working Mm. with, uh, I don't know, I was about to call him Phoenix. (laughs) Uh, Well, that's the name of a city and Raleigh is Raleigh. That honestly probably is why. When she's working with Raleigh, um, she's doing, I mean, she's doing her job. She's doing it competently. But she's not speaking, like they're not verbally communicating during that and I and I and it was just like why because well, their why? minds are so melded they do the Vulcan mind meld and it's they <laughs> yeah, don't you have, can't to have verbally it, you can't have it both ways though because <laughs> yeah. he's speaking right he's speaking out loud and she's not uh, yeah they're again I'm referring back to Guillermo because I am of the religion of Guillermo he was very with the exception of like the the minor characters he has noted that Mako and Raleigh have the least amount of lines in the movie opposed to everyone else because okay. He wanted mm. them to fill the world, but he intended for Mako to be like very silent. But when she does speak, it has a point, and she's thought about it, and she knows what she wants. Whereas Raleigh is a little more just like, I'm just gonna say whatever. The fuck. I think that's a totally legit character decision, mm-hmm. but it only works in a world that's populated with other women other as women, well, yes. other types of women. Because yeah. if your only female character is like strong and silent, then we don't hear women talk, right? Well, I did some IMDb-ing for Pacific Rim Uprising, and it appears as though there are way many more characters that are, like, top-billed who are women than the first Pacific Rim movie seems to have. It's it's hard to say until you see the movie and actually see what sort of representation is on screen of who these female characters are and do they have lines. Do they have agency? I bet you a million bucks this one passes the Bechdel test because it seems like they took some shit the first time around. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Excited, but also nervously excited because it's not Guillermo. And from the trailers, it looks a little more transformery. Mm. Well, that was another thing about this movie where it does, like, if you just see the poster, it looks transformery. And yeah. then it was like, oh, no, there's a story here. There's stuff going on. Mm-hmm. The story's more visually interesting. The, the production design and, like, the coloration yeah. and stuff in this movie is uh, really cool, I think. He, I, this morning, I, wa- I tried watching it again, but with the commentary. <laughs> and he, he talked about how they spent a year just designing the things in the world. Mm-hmm. Like, so every little detail of, like, there's ladders here because people would need those ladders to climb to this, to get in there. Whoa. There's escape hatches that, like, he was very specific about mm-hmm. what he wanted. That's awesome. Guillermo thinks it through. He, d- he gives he all of his character's detailed. bio for every movie he does. He yeah. color codes everything. Yeah. He's <gasps> like Caitlin does. I love color coding. <laughs> oh, one last thing that I wanted to say about Pacific Rim is... In a very early scene, there is a boat, a fishing boat that needs saved, and not, and a Jaeger comes in and scoops it up, mm. and all the people in it. There's only like ten people in the fishing boat, but they all live and they save the day. Oh, yeah. mm. I'm just wondering how Titanic could have gone differently <laughs> if there wasn't a Jaeger to save Titanic and scoop it out of the ocean. That's well, true. I think we should open open a discussion about that for the next. 45 minutes or so and just sort of throw out some theories. I mean, yes, it was the wrong ocean because Titanic, as we all know, crossed the Atlantic Atlantic. and Mm -hmm. this is about the Pacific Rim. But there is an iceberg in that same scene. Is there? Yeah, because that's uh, Knifehead pushes Gypsy Danger up against the iceberg and sticks his face into his heart. Oh, my God. That fishing boat almost (laughs) Titanic. Almost Titanic. It's a verb now. (laughs) 
I wanted to, we talked about it a lot last night, but there are some vagina monsters mm. in this, not as egregious as other vagina monsters we've seen. And as someone who, granted, does not know a ton about vaginas, uh, vaginas <laughs> or monsters. <laughs> It just seems like the easiest monster decision to make. See, I don't know. It's a, it's a hack monster. I don't Having a vagina dentata monster I, oh, is a hack monster. I agree, but I don't know. I don't know if I would classify the monsters in this movie as vagina, vagina monsters. monsters. Not, well, not all of them, but I some of them. Okay. You're, you're referring to Onibaba in the flashback scene, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, a crab-themed kaiju. And so I looked up crab mouths, and it is very—that's that's just that's it's crab mouth. Oh, it is a vaginal crab It is crab pretty—, mouth. pretty yeah. So it's crabs to blame. Crabs yeah, with their yeah, vagina crabs. mouths. You know what's even more vagina-like than crab faces are... No. <laughs> I can't are, think of anything. <laughs> certainly not vaginas themselves. Uh-huh. Muscles? M-U-S-S-E-L? Oh, my God. Those are just little vaginas in a shell waiting <laughs> to be eaten. Yeah, and that's like one of those gross things that they tell teenage boys, like, you know, it'll really turn a girl on. There's That's what they do in New England anyways. Because I had in high school, they told us that there was a boy who took me out on a date to legal seafood and got us a plate full of mussels with his dad's money because he wanted to see me eat a bunch of little vaginas. Yeah. Uh, Real quick, they also do refer to Gypsy Danger as she. Oh. Uh, So Gypsy Danger is is a lady. Okay. Uh, And then so is Otachi because... Oh, Tachi is pregnant. Oh, that's and, uh, right. We didn't talk about the pregnancy twist. We got to hear Charlie Day say, it's pregnant. It's pregnant. <laughs> Which I find interesting because, I mean, these are alien life forms. We do not really right. understand all about the intricacies of their life. But they seem like reptilian slash fish-like slash crustacean type of animals. But they still give birth to young. They don't yeah. lay eggs. That's interesting. Right. It was, it's it's a very odd choice that I can see like, okay, that's why you needed it for the story. But they're supposed to be clones. So you would have had to have cloned the baby into it. Right. Unless they're doing well, stuff the on ba- the other side of the rift. It was confu- Yeah, some I'm, more confusing science. I'm pregnant with my own clone right now. So it actually checks <laughs> wow. out. Yeah. I would love to see that movie. <laughs> Let's write it. Okay. And feminist icon Hannibal Chow. Oh my God! Yeah, Ron Perlman. We, yeah, Ron Perlman's literally a queer icon in this movie. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. And I know that I've historically been very down on steampunk imagery. He's wearing steampunk goggles. I don't care. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Let him wear them. I honestly, I was so like visually stunned by Ron Perlman that I'm not totally sure what his character was or what bearing it had on the plot, if any. He's just a mobster essentially in Hong Kong. Yeah, he has he has it like access great. to black market kaiju oh, parts. Yes, yes. Charlie Day is trying to get the brain so that he can drift with the kaiju. <laughs> so weird that like Charlie Day and Ron Perlman are in Pacific Rim. <laughs> like, it's just like, yeah, sure. I don't know. Those are also several characters that could have been really? women. I was thinking that Parker Posey and a Josie in the Pussycat style, like those two characters kind of reminded me of, of each other in a weird way of just like they're both very visually flashy. I think that Parker Posey could have easily done Ron Perlman's part. I love Ron Perlman. I get that he's in this movie because Guillermo puts him in almost all of his movies. Yeah. But I do find it strange that this white guy becomes the head of this like mafia in Hong Kong. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And there, there's like other, there's another white guy in that same mob too, but 
It's like, well, okay. I almost forgot to mention that among his like mobster pals is a woman who has a shaved head. She is mm. the baldest woman. She's not in charge. So I'm sorry to say that the Loftus yeah, test does not shit. apply. No, no, she... no. I, okay. Let's rephrase. Oh. This movie fails the Loftus test. Okay. Yes. It's not that the test isn't correct. Right. It, it this just movie it fails. fails. Yes. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. <laughs> but yeah, that's only one of a few other women you even see on screen. Yeah. Who like in a close up sort of thing and not like an extra in the background. There's also one more. When Pentecost is talking to the people, the politicians at the beginning about the like the Yerga program and how it's failing, there is a woman. There's a woman. She does not say anything. anything. She does not. Yes. <laughs> nope. But she's nope. there. But she's there. Nope. So <laughs> I guess good job, Pacific Rim. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. One last thing I wanted to mention is that as I interpreted it, there is not a romantic storyline. Oh, we, I thought we, cover, I thought we, we did. That. We covered this in the third chicken that we'll do. So Jamie and I had a, a discussion after watching the movie about the possibility of this having a romantic storyline or not. So let's check in with that now. Well, we just finished watching Pacific Rim. Yes. Pack Rim, as I like to call it. <laughs> I think that it was funny. And this movie... I think it's maybe the first we've ever watched that goes for horny depth and fails. Oh, because of the lack of chemistry between the two <laughs> leads? Yeah. yeah. With, they're given no lack of opportunity to appear attracted to each other, but well, never quite hack it. I th- Well, does that have something to do with the fact that there's not a romantic relationship set up between them? But even then, they don't seem there to have is, like though. a platonic I mean, chemistry. Be real good friends. That's true. I mean, I just... My vibe was that you were supposed to be feeling like, even though it wasn't as explicitly set up as most movies would have it be, where it's just like basically the female characters, like, and you're going to fuck me. Like, I feel like we were supposed to think, like, oh yeah, they're into each other. I disagree. Really? I never. I think that that might be because they were doing a bad job. Well, <laughs> there maybe... were so many scenes between the two of them. Like, there was that scene where he's like, you look good or like there were there were little there were all these little moments that didn't quite connect between those two characters so at the end when they're like nuzzling each other it's like have you met before like it's just weird i don't know i just i it struck me and it maybe was because like their lack of chemistry between the actors but i don't know i just it struck me as like their colleagues they are so not the, setting up a romantic relationship between them. Like they're just like they so friends. are. Well, they're, but if they're well, nuzzling in the closing shot of the movie, I would argue then so, they're gonna like like if any two characters nuzzling. Jamie, we have hetero nuzzling. Hetero nuzzling. If you're closing on hetero nuzzling, they're supposed to be into each other. But then they would have. I gotta go. Get the my movie would have. They the movie would have made them kiss. Then if it was like a here's no. The- no, I think that that is like a, a trend right now, and we're like whatever. It might even be a forward thinking trend, but the, the trend right now, and I, it happens in Guardians of the Galaxy too, where it's like here are these two characters who are very into each other, and the movie is pushing together a lot, but we're not gonna have them kiss yet. 
Yeah. We're not. There's a lot of well, sure, but we as the I audience, that that's what is that we as the audience feel that like sexual yeah, because tension. They, yeah, because they're doing a good job. I don't know. I would. <laughs> I would argue. I'm going to come to the defense of Pacific Rim and say that the movie was not trying to establish a romantic connection between them, and that instead the movie ends on a hetero nuzzle. Are you kidding it's, me? Ugh, no, they're it's a, hetero nuzzling. I've hetero nuzzled. With Guillermo platonic Toro friends, is our horniest living director. But, they were okay, hetero but okay, so here's the th- here's what I think is that because they've mind melded, it brings them closer together. Okay, then why don't they look like friends? <laughs> look, I don't I even do- believe they're friends. They had intimate moments eating when they were being <gasps> dissed by everyone. Man, like but friends. It- I, I don't know why I'm so stuck on this, but it's, <laughs> but it's just like if the most uh, they remember that scene where they ate together, mm-hmm. they didn't seem to dislike each other in that scene. Like there's just uh, it I really just think bugs that me they're two main people. I mean, Mako Mori, I enjoy her as a character. I think she's disserviced in some ways, but I like the actress and I think she does a good job. But just like with this particular like fart of an actor, there's just he just gives you nothing to work with. It's like, yeah, this guy's got teeth. Sort of. I'm gonna. Uh, still, I'm gonna. Face. I'm gonna. I'm gonna argue that we're so conditioned to seeing a female and male lead in a romantic situation, or sure. like building to a romantic connection. That because we, I would argue, do not see that in this movie. The movie's not trying to establish that. That's mm. maybe why it feels weird. Maybe why we don't feel as though there's chemistry i would say i'll meet that you. i'll meet you there's they're just establishing a friendship they're colleagues they've mind melded and that brings them closer together so maybe that's why it feels like maybe there could be a romantic I'll connection meet you in the middle established. i'll meet you in the middle and say that maybe the movie's trying to have it both ways a little bit we could also see in pacific rim too where we may find out what happened with that you know what i mean that's true Ooh, they could have a baby true. They could have a baby. They oh. could have just gotten real mad and never talked to each other again. And the famous words of Charlie Day, it's pregnant. <laughs> I think Raleigh Beckett Raleigh. Is, is a bad character is, who's boring and should I think be written out of the future movie. I think he's gay. I think that he oh, and his okay. gay partner adopt a baby and Mako, because she's friends with him, helps babysit the baby. But if there is a baby, that those are the only circumstances. Yeah, I have to think more about the character moments in this movie, which is a cool-looking movie. I have fun watching it. Mm-hmm. Another... Will I ever watch it again? No. <laughs> <laughs> Live from Aerosol's house. Yeah, I've had a great time here tonight. We drank some champagne. We did. Um, watched a long movie. It is, I'm going to guess, around 1.30 a.m. I think it's, oh, it's past time. two for sure. Oh, man. Oh, is. my God. It's 2.18. And then we'll all reconvene soon to have the full episode. I can't wait. See you then. Yes, queen. Bye. Bye. And we're back. It's an interesting movie. For, for you, it was like, this is not, this is never the kind of movie that I would gravitate towards anyways. But I enjoy, there's a lot of parts that I enjoyed. I just it, the sheer lack of women was hard. Mm-hmm. Well, as we already hinted at, the movie does not pass the Bechdel test. There's not even a, an opportunity. No opportunities. Mm-hmm. No scenes with women even close to each other, let alone interacting. Right. All right, let's rate the movie on our nipple scale: zero to five nipples, based on its portrayal of women. I think I'm gonna give it 
a three because you do see a strong female character in Mako Mori, although not as much agency as I would like. Some agency, especially later on, once she becomes one of the co-pilots, mm-hmm. you see her have a strong desire. Her desire is motivated. She is highly capable, and the people around her acknowledge that. And the reason that like her father figure, Idris Elba, doesn't want her to be involved in this co-pilot program is not because she's not capable. It's because he's basically just sort of protecting her and not wanting to send her to almost certain death. However, there are scenes where she could have had more agency that she doesn't because basically choices are made for her. There's the scene where she does not get to contribute to the climactic moment in the movie. I think it's great that it's a woman of color as the main female character, Mm -hmm. but because there's so few other women in the movie, the only other one of any sort of prominence is Sasha Kardinovsky. Who cough and you'll, you missed her name. (laughs) Right. Opportunities that could have been capitalized on for other female characters were just totally missed. But I think because Mako Mori is a good, strong character, that has inspired this test that we can apply to other movies. Because I think it might even be a more relevant test to the things we tend to talk about on this podcast than the Bechdel test. Right. I like that this movie has inspired this test that I think is very applicable to our discussions. Very much agree. So, yeah, three nipples. I will give one of them to Mako. I'm going to give one to Sasha, and I'm going to give my third nipple to the little, the dog, Max, who belongs to Hanson, brother number one. (laughs) Um, Yeah, three nipples. I want to go one and a half, but I'm going to go two. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go two because I do agree that it is net positive for the world that we get this test out of, that comes out of this movie. But I do think that this movie is also a reminder for me that the Bechdel test is very important because this movie so glaringly fails. And I think we have a less good movie as a result of it failing the Bechdel test and not introducing more women into the narrative. I like Mako a lot for all the reasons you say. I wish that she was given more screen time Mm -hmm. because I feel like she gets just about as much screen time as any, I mean, although I could be mistaking two men for the same man and lumping them. I honestly (laughs) don't know. Get rid of those guys. Replace them with people like women uh, of color. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) It's really not that hard. And it truly logistically makes this movie easier to watch because it's so confusing watching this movie. Yeah, I, I liked I liked the movie. I just it's just so frustrating seeing like when we have to have these discussions of like where we're really grasping at straws of like, well, we saw a woman. We saw her. <laughs> she was there. She and and it's like important that we acknowledge it, but it's you just get Mako. And that's very that's very summer movie all over of like a, a five million men and then one woman who kicks. Granted, as far as a woman who kicks goes, Mako's fucking awesome. Yeah. And we have a backstory that we we wouldn't normally have with the woman who kicks trope but i think she still sort of falls into that in some regards um especially when she's sidelined for her climactic scene which is mm-hmm. like Pfft. so i'm gonna go two i'm gonna give one to mako and give one to ron his little steampunk goggle <laughs> nipple <laughs> i too will give it three because i mean i wish it could have done better but i do like that a lot of attention and focus was given on mako I wish we also got more attention on Sasha. 
Though we do get that great yell from her. She gives orders, but in their final moment, you see them drowning, and she's yelling out, but it's not like a scared or painful kind of thing. She's like fucking pissed. It's a wail of fury that mm. I could uh, mm. so identify with. <laughs> uh, and so three nipples. I give one to Otachi, the flying kaiju. Mm. One to oh, Leatherback. That oh. like spreads oh, its yeah. wings. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was a great. Whoa. Yeah. Cool Such moment. Another to Leatherback, the big gorilla looking one. And then one to Baby Otachi. Aww. <laughs> Baby Otachi. Who, who died almost like yeah. minutes after being out of the womb. <laughs> yep. Aww. Uh, cool. So, Aristotle. Yes. Thank you, our wonderful friend, our dear producer. Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me. Hero. Oh, my gosh. Thanks for being here. Long We're time so, coming. I know. Sorry we yelled at Pacific Rim. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I totally understand. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> um, we've been so glad to have you. Let us know if you ever want to come back on and talk about a different movie. Uh, or just hop on the freaking mic. Yeah. Whenever. I can't do that. Yes. Not with the chains. No, yeah, that's that's have, true. That's true. Uh, we do always tie you up. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, yeah. And any, since we watched Fifty Shades, we've gotten really good at it, too. <laughs> <laughs> but any Guillermo movie, I am happy to. All right. Uh, wonderful. That's uh, great. We've got to do a Shape of Water episode. Where can people follow you online? Is there anything you would like to plug? Uh, I do. You can follow me at Ari's Tacos on everything. Mm-hmm. A-R-I-S Tacos. Twitter and Instagram. You can all follow Protein Press, which is the zine press I do with my friend Chris Saldana. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to Chris, who has a Pacific Rim tattoo. And, Whoa. Uh, we're supposed to get matching ones, but it's kind of a, a I don't know. A sore uh, subject? I, no, like, I, I just don't have money for tattoos, and oh. there's a lot of other tattoos I want to I I put up higher on that list. Okay. So, sorry, Chris. Uh, oh, but Protein Press, you can find all our cool zines, which, God damn it, I forgot I was going to bring them today to give you. Oh, oh, that's okay. Well, thank you. <sighs> but, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, check out times. Protein Press. Check out our wonderful producer, Aristotle, on all the social media platforms. You can also do that all for us. Bags. You can check us out, Bechtelcast, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Go to our Patreon and subscribe to that. It's $5 a month, and you get two freaking bonus episodes. Yes, Whoa. Queen. Just the one last final thing I want to say is... Today we are canceling the apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> Best line in a movie ever. Thank you, oh, Idris Elba. Thank you, King Idris. Bye. Bye. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X. Visit TomboyX.com. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. 
Bring along the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies to add a sprinkle of joy to your workday. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies.